Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Chris. I'm the senior minister at ABC, and uh, I have the privilege of launching us into the second week of this series that we started last Sunday called This One Thing, where we're talking about one thing that has the power to change everything. And that thing is forgiveness. And last week, we talked about the power of forgiveness. If you missed that, you can catch up with that on our YouTube channel to uh, figure out what we said last week. And this week, we're talking about whether God can ever forgive us. I'm asking this question, can God ever forgive me? Now, I uh, wonder if there's been anything in your life uh, at some point where it has been so exciting or such an amazing thing for you that you've just kind of, it's just come flowing out of you. Everybody else is bored by the time they finished here hearing you talk about it, because you just go on and on and on about it, because it's so exciting. Now, if you've been around ABC for a few months, if you were with us last June, or this last June that's just gone, you'll know we did a series called When Pigs Fly. And if you weren't here, I'm going to catch you up quickly. We were talking about miracles. We were saying the things that only happen when pigs fly. We kind of say, well, the kids will tidy their bedroom. Oh, yeah, when pigs fly. England will win the World Cup. Oh, yeah, when pigs fly, and so on and so forth. And we did this little promo video. I don't know if you remember this, if you were around. It's still on YouTube. You can go back and watch it if you find a service from last June. And one of the things we said, because I've started playing golf over the last few years, Uh, As you'll know if you've been around a while, because there's quite a lot of sermon illustrations coming out my way about golf these days. But I started playing golf, and when I started playing golf, I wanted to break 100 strokes for the round. Par is 72. I wanted to get in under 100, and I started doing that, which was great. So by the time we filmed this promo video, I wanted to break 90. This was the big goal. And I said, yeah, I'll break 90 when pigs fly. Except that on August the 22nd, 2022, a date never to be forgotten, this happened, and this is the most important thing to look at. I don't know whether you can see it from there, or see it up there, or see it online. 85. 85. Not just broke 90, shattered 90. Thank you. I'm, yeah, if you're online, they're clapping for me in the room, although rather half-heartedly, it does have to be said. So yeah, I, I broke 90 for the first It was great. There were only two problems with that. I was on my own, So there is no verification of this, and I've never done it with anybody else. And somebody said to me this morning, who's a very keen golfer, well, you know it doesn't count if you're on your own. I was on my own, was uh, problem uh, number one. And problem number two is, I've been absolutely rubbish since. So anybody that I have there, I played with a good friend of mine, Steve, this week. I shot 99 this week. It was awful. And I played with my friend John a couple of weekends ago, 98. So nobody's ever going to believe that this really happened, but I know in my heart. Uh, I know in my heart what actually happened. And uh, because it was so exciting, I have bored everybody with the story of this. So I got home and I told my family, and I basically recounted them hole by hole what I'd done. And then I thought, I'm not going to make a big deal of this in the office. I couldn't help myself. I made a massive deal of it in the office. So the staff team, you can ask them about this afterwards if you want to. They've been bored witless with stories of this amazing round of golf. Now, it's a slightly silly example, though it is an important one to me. But I wonder if you've had stuff going on in your life where you have been so excited, so excited that you can't help but talk about it. It can't help but come flowing out of you. I want you to think about that feeling when I talk about what I'm going to talk about today. Because to help me talk about what we're going to talk about today, I want to go back 2,000 years to a guy called Paul. 
And this is really important because uh, why might we go back 2,000 years, you might ask yourselves rightly and just, uh, justifiably. Well, because Paul knew people and talked to people who met Jesus. And Paul became this amazing uh, uh, church planter. He started all these churches, started talking to people about Jesus, had this amazing transforming experience. And he experienced something so amazing, so incredible, way better than breaking 90 on the golf course, that he just couldn't help but let it kind of flow out of him. Couldn't help but let it bubble over in the conversations that he had. And you know, I think in her own understated way, Queen Elizabeth II did this too. I think, and it's become evident to us, hasn't it, even more if we weren't aware of it before, even more so over the last few days, of her amazing faith, the incredible faith she had in God and in Jesus. And it's kind of, it came bubbling out of her. And in that kind of quiet, understated way, she couldn't help but talk about it in her Christmas messages and in her speeches and things like this. Listen to some of these quotes from Queen Elizabeth. I have been and remain very grateful to you for your prayers and to God for his steadfast love. I have indeed seen his faithfulness. Here's another one. For me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today is an inspiration and an anchor in my life, a role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. He stretched out his hands in love, accepting and healing. Christ's example has taught me to seek to respect and value all people of whatever faith or none. Final one. I know just how much I rely on my own faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view, to give of my best in all that the day brings, and to put my trust in God." just comes bubbling out of her. She's found this thing that's so amazing, this faith, this saving grace of Jesus, that it just comes bubbling out of her. And Paul was exactly the same. And I want to use an exuberant uh, a message from Paul today to encourage us and to answer these questions, can God ever forgive me? And if you're asking that question, can God ever forgive me? You know, I've done some really messed up stuff. Can God ever forgive me? Or if you're sitting there asking the question, say, well, how does God go about forgiving me? If you're new to faith or you're exploring what Christianity is all about, then I want to try and explain today how it is that we need forgiveness and that God gives it to us and how that rescues us. And Paul is a great place to go to find answers to those questions because Paul was messed up. Paul did some awful stuff. Before his name was changed, he was known as Saul and he persecuted people who were following Jesus. He was so anti them that he tortured and killed many of them. He stood by while, other, uh, while Christians were being killed and executed and approved of what they were doing. He's a really important person Paul, but this transformation was extraordinary in him. And he's a really important person, not just in the Christian faith, but in human history, actually, because he has impacted so many people. And as I say, although it may feel a bit weird to go back 2,000 years to learn from this inspirational guy, Paul, actually, it's a great thing to do because he knew people who were with Jesus. He had this transforming experience, and his letters that he dictated that were written down for us, still come to us in 
the Bible in the New Testament today. He'd had this incredible experience and it changed everything for him. And it came pouring out, his excitement came pouring out of him. And, and we're going to look at a letter to a bunch of people he wrote in a place called Ephesus. It's the a New Testament letter to the Ephesians. And we're going to look at a section today that is Paul just going, boom, here we go. This is what I'm so excited about. And uh, this is the redemption and the saving grace that I have found. And I want you all to know about it. And I want you to know how excited I am about it. And we know he's excited because in the original language that this uh, letter was written in, this section that we're going to look at today, and in fact it goes on a little bit beyond what we're just going to look at today, is all one long sentence. So there's no punctuation Okay, now in our English translations, the translators have helpfully put in punctuation to help us sort of read it a little bit easier, but that wasn't how it was written. It's like Paul going bang, 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 just on and on, building and building and building with all the things that God has done that he is grateful for. So when we hear this and we look at it, and we're going to drill down on it in a little moment, I want you to know the basis of this is this kind of exuberant excitement that is coming out of Paul as he tries to explain the wonders of salvation and redemption that he has found. And uh, I want to uh, read it to you in a, in a paraphrase version of the Bible, actually, called The Message. And, uh, you know, normally we put, like, our uh, Bible passages up on the screen, up on here. We're not going to do this right now because I just want you to listen to it. Imagine that this is Paul reading this out to you. And, and imagine his excitement and his enthusiasm in all of this. And if you want to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. But we're just going to read it as kind of one big long sentence, which is the way that Paul originally wrote it. And it goes like this. How blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind and settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son because of the sacrifice of the messiah his blood poured out on the altar of the cross we're a free people free of penalties and punishments chalked up by our misdeeds and not just barely free we are abundantly free he thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, and everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. So Paul just gives us this exuberant excitement about what God has done. So having understood then, I hope, by now, that this comes to us in one long section, one long sentence, one long pouring out of joy that Paul builds upon and goes on and on and, and adds bits to and bits to and bits to as he builds this whole thing. Having understood that, let's just unpack a few bits. And this time, I'm going to use the NIV translation of the Bible. It says this, Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul starts this with a phrase that might appear a little bit old-fashioned to us, I guess. I don't suppose we hear too many people these days going, praise be. But it's kind of a way of saying, how cool is this? 
This is really exciting. Praise be. This is a phrase that starts this exuberance. And then Paul says, look, it's Jesus. Jesus is the way we know God, the way we see God. He is the heart of the story of God. If you want to know what the heart of the Christian faith is all about, look at Jesus. And then verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God has chosen us. His purpose, his longing, his desire has always been to draw humanity to himself. And this is rooted in the heart and the nature of God, this desire to draw humanity to himself. The problem is, and we get sort of an alluding to the problem here, the problem is that God is holy and blameless, and we are not. And actually, I think if you reflect on this, even if you say, look, I'm exploring faith, I'm not sure I believe in God or whatever, I think we'd all have to say, if there is a God... We would want that God to be holy and pure and blameless. That's kind of what would make, one of the things that would make God, God. We'd want that. And Paul says, well, that is God. God is holy and pure and blameless. We would want God to be like that. And that is great. But it does present a problem because Paul, like us, I'm sure, realizes that he was way short of being holy and pure and blameless. Paul had a lot to be forgiven for. He was messed up. And maybe we say to ourselves when we hear that, well, I can get that about Paul, but is that true for me? I mean, I don't know whether I'm really messed up. I mean, I certainly am not going around approving of people being killed or or tortured for their faith. I can get that Paul has a lot to be forgiven for. Me? Really? But I think if we're really honest with ourselves... We've got to, be, we've got to say we have all got stuff going on that leaves us well short of a holy, pure and blameless life. Well short. This stuff that we do that we shouldn't, that we don't do that we should, it leaves us well short. So God has got this problem. He longs for a relationship with us, but he is pure and blameless and holy and we are not. So what does he do now? Well, we're told. In love motivated by love, out of love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So Paul is saying God longs for this relationship with us, so God has made a way for it to happen, for, for people who are well short of being pure and blameless and holy to come into a relationship with the one who is pure and blameless and holy. And the way he does that is he adopts us into the family of God. And I just want to say something about sonship here. This is not about gender, okay? Because in the time where this was written, uh, 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 you, it was the sons who became heirs in the family. That was just the way society was. It was the sons who became heirs. So this is not about gender, but it is about status. Because Paul is saying that, that God has made a way for us to be adopted into the family of God with all the privileges and access of being an heir. And by the way, I was reminded of this by somebody who was here for our first service this morning. When you were adopted into a family, even if you were a slave and you were adopted into a family, you took on all the rights of the family, as well as being an heir in that family, and it couldn't be reversed. You couldn't unadopt somebody. You couldn't unadopt a slave if you'd adopted them. 
And for some of us, that may actually be a prophetic word for us this morning because we may have said, well, I, I've, I've given my life to Jesus, but, I, you know, does God really still love me? Can God really still forgive me after what I've done? That adoption cannot be undone. If you continue to follow Jesus, to say sorry for the things you've done, then God continues to receive you into his family. And this redemption comes through blood. In him we have redemption through his blood, it's Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. We are redeemed and forgiven through the richness of God's grace, says Paul, grace that he lavished upon us. And redemption here is a really important concept to understand because Paul's first readers and his first listeners would really have understood that because they would have known the language of redemption from their religious background, but they would have also have known it from the marketplace. When they went shopping, they would have seen people being redeemed because slaves were being sold there and they could be redeemed when somebody purchased them. And this whole idea of redemption was very common in the culture. So he would have known, uh, they would have known what he was talking about. Being redeemed meant buying back someone. Buying back a person or an item that would otherwise have been taken prisoner or lost or destroyed. And I want to say this, Paul talks about the lavishness of God's grace, the riches of God's grace that he has lavished upon us. And grace is a phrase we often throw around in church life. If you're relatively new to church life, you may have realized that. We talk about grace, and of course there are those um, uh, great hymns about grace, amazing grace, uh, how sweet the sound, those sorts of things. And I think grace, if I'm honest, I think grace can sometimes sound a bit woolly and a bit fluffy. And uh, it can sound all very nice, uh, grace. But actually, what we're told here and what Paul is pointing out to us is that grace is not woolly and it is not fluffy. It costs a lot and it has huge consequences. And grace is more than something God gives us. It is something God gives us, but it's more than that. It's actually God giving us himself. And these verses show us the cost of grace and the characteristics of grace. Grace is brutal. Grace is bloody. It wasn't cheap for Jesus. It's not fluffy. And the visible image of grace is the blood poured out by Jesus and the life that was given by Jesus when he is on the cross. It's not cheap. It's not woolly. It's not fluffy. It wasn't for Jesus. It was brutal and painful and full of sacrifice. That's grace. The cost of grace was the death of Jesus. I want to try and explain why that is. Because again, I think it's something we often talk about in church life. We often have crosses around in church. We often talk about the crucified Jesus, that Jesus died for our shortcomings, for our sins. And I worry sometimes that that language has become so common to us that we, we, we sometimes forget why that was necessary. Or maybe if you're new to church, you don't quite understand why that was necessary. Well, let me explain as, as clearly as I can why Jesus had to die. You see, sin... That stuff that leaves us well short of a holy, pure, and blameless life, that sin leads to death. And if that sounds melodramatic, let me try and unpack that. You see, the sins of dishonesty or gossip or selfishness leads to the death of relationships. Harsh words 
so often lead to the death of self-worth. Abusive behavior leads to the death of innocence. Greed leads to the death of compassion. You see, these sins lead to death. And Jesus died so that our sin doesn't have to lead to our death. He redeemed us. He brought us back from being taken prisoner or being held hostage to our sin. He brought us back from finding ourselves lost and without hope in our sin. And Paul had experienced the richness of God's grace. He had grasped the price that was paid, the cost that it took for Jesus to deal with the consequences of sin, namely death. And that led to this exuberance that we see in this letter. That led to this kind of boof. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. Because Paul had experienced it. And his exuberance is not only because of what he experienced, but because he wants his readers, his listeners, to deeply feel this too. To feel the value and importance that this has. Oh, I wish 2,000 years ago somebody could have said to Paul, you won't believe it, Paul. But your excitement and exuberance in these words that you're pouring out here, 2,000 years later, people will still be talking about them, thinking about them. They're going to be contained in a book called the Bible. And people will still be using it today, 2,000 years on, to unpack the message of Jesus and to hear what a difference he can make in people's lives. How cool is that? Praise be, you might say. We need grace. We do. All of us need grace. All of us need redemption. We are all in the same boat. I think that's good news, by the way. We're all in the same boat. If you've been a Christian for years, if you're brand new to the Christian faith, if you're not a Christian and you're wondering what it's all about, if you've been in church a while or you haven't been in church uh, for ages or you've never been in church before, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners and we're all in need of grace. We all need redeeming and setting free. We all have sin within us that could lead to death. But God refuses to leave us that way or allow that death to be our fate. Instead, God steps in. And that grace was so costly. But that's the whole point. Because that's the danger of sin. But a great price was paid. And forgiveness was given. And by the way, just as important as the death of Jesus on the cross was his resurrection three days later. Because that demonstrates so incredibly visibly that death was not the end. That sin is not the end. That it's been defeated. That we can rise again with Jesus into new life and new hope. So let's cycle back to the question we were asking all the way through this talk, or at the beginning of this talk at least. Can I ever been forgiven? Can I ever be forgiven? There's a really simple answer. Yes. Which would, by the way, have made a much shorter sermon. <laughs> yes. It's done. It's right here. The cross of Jesus. All we have to do is take it from him. Receive it from him. Be as excited about it as Paul was. And to receive that gift of grace. And just as I finish, one more quote from Queen Elizabeth, who had received and accepted this gift of grace. 
And here we see her referring to sin and referring to what God has done about it. Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, so, so much. Beyond what words can say, thankfulness we feel, though, Lord, for your forgiveness, for your grace, for the cost that Jesus was prepared to pay, the price that Jesus was prepared to pay, so we could be forgiven and redeemed. So our sin is not the end. Our sin does not lead to death. We thank you that he died so we could be free. And we thank you that he rose again to show that death is not the end, that sin is well and truly defeated. Lord, I ask for forgiveness for myself. Maybe others would feel it here as well. For times where I have been flippant about grace or felt like grace was somehow woolly or fluffy, forgotten the cost of grace, Lord, remind us again today of the price that was paid for the gift of grace. Thank you that we are set free. And Lord, we receive it once again today, that gift of grace. Maybe we receive it for the first time today. Lord, thank you that you set us free. Amen.